Thank you for listening to the Life Church of Kansas City, Missouri. Consider supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com, subscribing, and sharing this message with your friends. God bless you. Praise the Lord. It's good to be with you this morning in the house of the Lord. Thank you, Brother Gleason and the Life Church for this opportunity to be with you to honor first responders, healthcare professionals. You may be seated. Thank you also to all the AHI members that have been a part of this weekend and made this a special weekend. We're just so thankful for the church here's interaction and and development with us of this organization. But I do want to say that our hearts are full of gratitude. We're here to say thank you and to honor each and every one of you, each and every first responder, each and every healthcare professional, and each and every frontline warrior. You have persevered throughout this past year and even the years before. At times you're called to go beyond the call of duty, sometimes for an event or maybe even just just for a day. But this has gone on for months and even now a year that you've had to persevere to hold on. The very core of who you are and, and what you do has been tested, pushed your physical limit, but there's something inside of you, a passion called compassion a drive to care for the sick and the dying, those that are in need, and you are making a difference. And for that, we want to say thank you and to honor each and every one of you. Thank you so much. Today, as I'm speaking, I'm also speaking to myself. I've intubated a COVID patient. I've taken care of how many COVID patients put myself at risk. It's what we do. At some point in your life, you made that decision that I will stretch out. I will put myself at risk, my life at risk, my health at risk. When you get up in the morning and go to work, you make that decision. And for that, you are a hero. If not just, but, you know, for today, accept that role. You're a hero. You're making a difference. You are making a difference. And we have a hard time with that as as healthcare professionals. But I'm saying that to you today. For just today, please accept that. So this morning, we want to look into the Word of God. And there's a particular hero in the Bible that we want to talk about, the Good Samaritan. We're going to look into the book of Luke in the 10th chapter, starting at verse 29. Luke chapter 10 and starting at verse 29. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee." So we look into this passage of scripture and we find an individual that unfortunately on his pathway fell among thieves, was attacked and robbed. He was, his clothing was taken. 
His belongings were taken. He was basically left for dead. The scripture says half dead. He was wounded, most likely lacerations, abrasions, head trauma, a likely situation where he was kicked, punched, maybe even stabbed, suffering fractured ribs, possibly facial fractures, his eyes swollen to the point that he couldn't even see, most likely his nose bleeding. Even if he could have tried to get up to walk and journey on the pathway, highly likely he couldn't have seen because his eyes were so swollen shut. He was possibly in a stuporous, even obtunded state where he didn't even quite know what had happened, didn't know what was going on. He needed help, if not at least urgently, if not emergently. An individual that could not save himself. He needed somebody to respond to his need. He needed someone to respond to his situation, someone to reach out to him. A couple of individuals came by, passed by on the other side, not stopping to ask if he needed help, not asking, well, can I give you a drink of water or maybe the coat off my back to keep him from becoming hypothermic, going into even a worse situation. But then there was that individual that we know about, the good Samaritan that came by, that had something within himself that rose up, something that pushed him to look past his fear that he might be attacked while he was attending to him, that looked past his desire to maybe get home to that warm cooked meal that day or, or, or his child that he wanted to see that maybe he hadn't seen in a while. And that something that rose up within him was compassion. Compassion to reach out for another, to care for another, regardless of what it would cost him, regardless of the time he would have to spend. And today, you that are first responders, you that are healthcare professionals, frontline warriors, it has reached into the hospitals, not just first responders. I've been told by a paramedic, you'll get a bed when the next one dies. We consistently and constantly call trying to get beds for a patient. Sending patients, I heard one go as far as six hours just to get them a bed in a hospital somewhere. It's been a tough time. But you have stepped up. You've been selfless. When no one else would respond, you have risked your life. You have risked your health. And you've made a difference in many individual people's lives. You've done it for this year and you've done it for your career. You suffered separation from your family. One paramedic I talked to, he had to end up sleeping in his garage on a blow-up mattress His family would text him and say, okay, your meal is at the door out there in the laundry room. You can come get your meal now. Another nurse coming home and her little baby probably hadn't seen her all day. Saw mom walk by and and wanted a hug, wanted a kiss, wanted the the warmth of her mother. But mom had to go and bathe and prepare herself before she could present herself to the family. Separation from the family. You've been tired. You've been exhausted. One, one EMT I talked to would run 72-hour shifts to the point he's just purely exhausted, couldn't go anymore, so just paid somebody, go make this one run for me just so I've got a moment to rest. It's been that kind of year, and you have been that good Samaritan. You have been that responder that has made a difference. So today, we want to offer a word of encouragement, 
a prayer of comfort, a word of hope to you. We're here to offer you the Prince of Peace. We're here to offer you the one that can strengthen you, the ultimate first responder. We know you're tired and exhausted, but we want to say thank you. We want to offer a hand to you. And even with you, at time you've stretched your hand out, even in the past year, and at times maybe refused and wondered, why would you refuse my kindness? In the enforcement that has happened, there's been disrespect. So this morning I'm asking you, do you have an airway? We know that, airway, breathing, circulation. Maybe you have an airway and maybe you're breathing and you do have a pulse. But in this story, this individual is highly likely stuporous or obtunded or maybe even comatose after the treatment. And this morning you may feel kind of dull. It's kind of feeling weary and, wow, I can't go anymore. But go ahead and catch your breath this morning. A breath of the Holy Ghost, a breath of the Holy Spirit to strengthen you and to uplift you today. And we want to have a prayer for you that the blessings of the Lord would be upon you, would give you wisdom, would give you comfort in this time. And in John 10, 10, Jesus was speaking and says, even as in this parable, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But the ultimate Responder says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. God bless you this morning. Amen to all of that for sure. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here today. And thank you all for being here this morning. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of this great day of celebration. Wow, what a great time we're having here this morning and honoring those to whom honor is due. And that's what the scripture says. I felt the favor of the Lord here today. There's something special in this room. Amen. Something special. And I believe it's because the honor and support that's being shown by this great church family for responders is attracting the attention of God himself. You know, when God shows up, you're going to know it. <laughs> Some people are, oh, well, how will I know God? I just, if he's really God and he shows up and he's God, you're going to know it. There's not going to be any question about it. You're going to know the peace and the love of God that passes all. Amen. The mission is revealed in the name. Responders. I know we have a, a bl- umbrella over healthcare workers, frontline workers, really honoring all those that are responding. And, and so this is what first responders do. They respond to crisis, to tragedy, to trauma. They're willing to respond to those things and to others they don't even know and spend themselves to try to save the life of someone that really is not going to give them anything in return. That's grace in action, isn't it? They're willing to go and take a chance that it may not really work out. They may have to see the undesired end and the undesired outcome. And then when they leave the scene, they may carry the stress of wanting so bad or having left responding to that situation 
with wanting to do more and mulling over and over again what could have been done, what should have been done, and having the stress, really, that you have and that we have. But let me tell you today, that reflects somebody that cares. When you sometimes find yourself a little stressed by your work, just remind yourself, I wouldn't feel this way if I didn't care. This wouldn't be going over in my mind and heart if I didn't really care. There's a special heart in first responders. And so if anyone has a chance, then there's a much better chance if a first responder's on the scene. I'll take my chances with first responders. How about you? (laughs) Amen. Praise God. So we go to this story this morning that good Samaritan that each of us as travelers can see ourselves sometimes. Each one of these travelers saw a victim and they saw the tragedy. They saw the condition. Verse 31 says the priest saw him. Verse 32 says the Levite came and looked. Verse 33 and 34 says the Samaritan saw him. So the same original word is is there for all three of these. And that word really means not only to see, but to know. You see something and you kind of know this, this is really bad. They all saw the same thing. It's clear they all knew exactly how bad and tragic it was. But the first one saw and passed by on the other side. The second one looked and kind of got interested. And the Bible says it came closer and looked again. Investigated a little bit more, but still left and passed on the other side. But the Samaritan, the Samaritan, the Bible says that he saw and he stopped. That question came to my mind, why would he stop when the others went on their way? And verse 33 kind of gives gives the answer. It says, when he saw him, he had compassion. Dr. Sternman mentioned it earlier. It wasn't mentioned about the other two, but in his heart, there was a compassion. There was a care. In other words, he was moved from the inside. The Bible also talks about bowels of mercy in showing mercy to others. He wasn't out to win a medal, wasn't out to get the next hero's honor or reward, just doing the job. Had a different kind of heart, a responder's heart. He had something in him that wouldn't just let him ignore the tragedy that befell his fellow man. He he responded from the inside. He did it even more than others and rose to the occasion because that's what responders do. That's what they do. They don't get paid enough money. They don't get enough benefits. There's not enough perks. They are called to do what they do, to call to serve their fellow man. They have a different kind of heart. When others are running out, they're running in to the fire. When others are running away from the shots, they're running toward those same shots. And so just like this one in Luke chapter 10, they're rushing to the awful incident, the ugly scenes of life. So why did the first two run? They saw and they ran away, but the last one saw and went to him. What made the difference? I believe we can see a real part of the heart here because it wasn't just a desire to make a difference. There was preparation. 
There was some preparation that had gone into the Samaritan's journey. The reason I believe the Samaritan was prepared, I believe he was prepared. That's why he responded. Because we see the other two, they quickly moved away. <laughs> they quickly went on their journey. They were praying their fake phone app wouldn't fail them now. Walk up and see this and thinking, ooh, let's try it. I've got a call, sorry. I, I don't have time. Uh, somebody else will come along. And they're quickly on, just navigating, avoiding, keeping a distance because they weren't prepared. Bible doesn't say anything about them having anything that the Samaritan had. And so look at the Samaritan. Verse 34 said he was prepared because he had bandages with him. He went to him and he began to bandage him and he had oil and wine and he had an ambulatory beast that he could use to transport this man. He was a walking Walgreens. Kind of in our terms, he had gauze and tape and binding materials. He had medicines and antibiotic ointments and alcohol swabs. Uh, uh, he was prepared. He really was. He was a walking Walgreens and a mobile CVS all in one. What a first responder. He was prepared. He was prepared to, to respond to the trauma. And he not only knew how to respond, he knew what needed to be done. He had the right medicine. He had the right heart. Verse 34 says he doctored the wounds of the man. When the story begins to talk about the man was wounded in the beginning of the, the, the caption here, it's talking about a calamity that comes our way when he was wounded. But when you get down to this verse where the Samaritan is ministering and binding up his wounds, the word there is troma in the Greek, which we get our word trauma. And so we're on point here today, honoring those that are helping with the tragedies and traumas of life. Just like this good Samaritan, that's what he was doing. He stabilized. He went to him to stop the bleeding. He went to him to inject him with some medicine that would relieve the pain. There's all the symbolism in the oil and wine here. He knew there was visible trauma, but he also knew there was invisible trauma. He knew the physical wounds would heal, but the mental wounds may linger. He knew that you can see some wounds and some you can't. And so he had bandages. That makes sense to minister and to help with the physical. But the oil and wine, he was prepared with oil and wine. Oil I thought, well, oil and wine, this Samaritan had that on for his journey. How does that apply to ministering to this wounded, traumatized individual? And then I began to think about it. How would you use oil? How would you use ointment? It would be applied externally to wounds or cuts or scrapes. There would be anti-antibody ointment, anti-so forth. And then the wine, how do you use wine? Well, you would drink wine. You would ingest wine. He had what would minister to the trauma of this man, the external wounds on the physical side as well as the internal needs and wounds of the trauma on the inside. The oil is applied externally. The wine is ingested and applied, quote, internally. Oil's medicinal value is external. Wine's medicinal value is internal. 
Spiritually today, we can't overlook or not state it. Oil in the word of God is a symbol of God's anointing that comes to break the yoke in our life, to stop the bleeding. Wine is a symbol of God's spirit, which brings life and revives us again from the inside out. It brings joy back. It restores us again. The church is really here today with oil and wine to support the incredible responders that are in this room today and even those beyond these walls in the incredible work that you're doing from your very heart. Amen. He had training expertise. He had knowledge to do his job and he did it well to to minister to all the needs of the whole man of this individual in this story. Amen. I see a reflection of first responders in closing in Psalm 46 verse one, where David said, God is our refuge and strength that he's a very present help in trouble. Who's first on the scene in the trouble or the tragedy? When you start to break down a very present help, it simply means this, a whole, speedy, passionate, forceful, intense, coming to, finding, and aiding, bringing aid in that situation, in that trouble. David said, God is a refuge in strength. First responders, you reflect that God in the work you do. And I believe you have an inside track with him because of that. He sees his image in you. When you are called to the scene, when you're called to the incident, you're coming. You're coming with 100% commitment. You're coming with all your resources and skills and expertise. You're coming with your exhaustion. You're coming with your own emotional pain. You're coming with your own past and experiences along the way. You're coming with your own hurts, but you put those aside with a heart of love and grace and compassion and mercy for others in their time of need. Boy, if we can't honor that today, I don't know if we'll find anything to honor in life or in this world. Can we clap our hands and thank the Lord for it? Hallelujah, hallelujah. You are truly a very present help in trouble. And God, don't forget, is the ultimate present help in trouble. The caregivers need care themselves. When we go with grace and unmerited favor to help others we don't know and we'll never receive anything back for that, that offering of our sacrifice, we've got a God that's on our side to bring the same grace into our lives to help us as we minister to those who are in their greatest time of need. Can we clap our hands one more time to the Lord and thank him today that he's here helping us honor those to whom honors do. Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan in response to the question, who is my neighbor? This perhaps is the most important question that needs to be answered in our culture today. A thoughtful answer to the question, who is my neighbor? will bring an end immediately and instantly to all hate, violence, crime, and injustice. Would you ask that question out loud right now? Who is my neighbor? Would you say that? Who is my neighbor? We should think about that. Does the story of the Good Samaritan speak to the context of this first responder in our day? It certainly does. This first responder placed himself in harm's way having nothing to personally gain. He arose above stereotypes, prejudice, racism, and crossed the line to save another human being. 
He disregarded his personal calendar for the rest of that day and perhaps other days. He committed himself to using personal resources to serve a total stranger with nothing in it for him. It wasn't even his job. He was not getting paid. Sound familiar? Have you ever wondered what happened to this good Samaritan, this ultimate first responder, after this intervention? How did it impact his life? For example, did he realize later that he had the blood of a stranger on his clothes and his hands? After he came home, did his wife look at him with amazement and say, what happened to you today? Did he want to talk about it or did he just keep it to himself? After further reflection, what regrets did the Good Samaritan have for overextending himself for a complete stranger? When his community heard the story, what reparations did he face from his own people for betraying them by serving the enemy? Did it dawn on him later that as he was transporting this man and now even more vulnerable, that he could also be attacked by those who attacked his friend? Did he actually return to the end like he said he would, or was the promised follow-up visit too much or too inconvenient? Did he settle the stranger's bill as promised, or after the endorphins wore off from the emergency of the moment, did he think otherwise and just keep the money? Did he ever see this man again? And if so, now that they were on equal terms, how would he be treated? Ralph Waldo Emerson said, It is one of the beautiful compensations of life that no man can sincerely try to help another without helping himself. Although I have found this to be generally true, this is not always the case. Sometimes we help other people at our own peril. Every career has occupational hazards. First responders who spend a lifetime helping the vulnerable and the hurting can themselves be hurt. It comes with the territory. Tragically, for example, psychiatrists who have been trained to heal troubled minds have the highest rate of suicide in any profession. How ironic is that? Men and women who are trained in the science of the mind and spend their lives helping others understand their own mental complexities and have all sorts of resources at their disposal end up in despair where self-harm seems to be their only option. Why is this? Is it because they take on too much? Are they not able to disassociate themselves from the pain of others? And I'm asking the question today to the professionals, who is doctoring the doctors? Who is serving the servers? Jesus said, the sick need a physician. But I would say that sometimes the physician needs the physician. First responders are good at giving, but we are not always good at receiving. Lieutenant Andy Coates of the Highway Patrol Troop A just told me yesterday, and I quote, cops are a difficult bunch to help sometimes. 
Those who put themselves in harm's way, always giving, always extending, it's not always easy for them to admit that they need help. According to the National Library of Medicine, sprains and strains are the leading injuries among EMS, firefighters, and police occupations. Police officers and firefighters have the highest injury rates. The physical demands of emergency responses in the moment are the leading cause of injury. But is anyone measuring the mental toll, the emotional wear, the spiritual trauma to the human spirit? We've heard some very graphic descriptions today. We've seen the portrayal in this skit of a tragic loss. Some of you have been there. That wasn't just a dramatic presentation, but you have suffered trauma and tremendous loss in your life. And I want to tell you that maybe there is no counselor that can help you. Maybe there is no drug that we can throw at you. Maybe there is no therapy that we can suggest or a book for you to read. And like we pastors are are likely to say when we don't know what else to say, take two Bible studies and call me in the morning. But I'm here to tell you that the ultimate first responder is here. And he has the medicine. He has the therapy. He has the ability to serve you, to listen to you. Can I tell you that you can get angry with God and he can handle it? Can I tell you that you can be upset with your creator and He's got big shoulders. He puts on his big boy pants. He can listen to you. He's not going to shoot you down. He's not going to attack you. Amen. If you're honest, you just have to keep it real with God or God can't do anything for you. You got to keep it real. (laughs) It's got to be real. And so today, this congregation stands ready to offer what we can when perhaps others have not been able to provide that missing piece. Are you here today having put yourself in harm's way recently? Was it you that fought the bad guy and nobody applauded you? Did you sustain and stabilize the vulnerable and no one said thank you? You rescued someone from danger, maybe even death. And in that moment, you were energized and efficient as your skills and your training kicked in. But later, in the loneliness of solitude, you realized that something was different. Something had changed. Something didn't feel right. How many first responders in the intensity of the moment focusing totally on others rather than on themselves have themselves become injured? I will tell you that in some context, after the first 10 years of full-time ministry, my wife and I side by side serving, giving, pouring out, investing, doing what we could to add value where we could And then the last half, the last of those five years, 
trying our best to serve a broken, dysfunctional, stagnant, carnal, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, church culture that was way off mission. I literally found myself a 26 to 30 year old young preacher who all he ever wanted to do was make a difference and lead a church in revival. And what did I get for it? Kicked in the teeth, kicked in the gut, criticized, maligned, attacked, accused. Why? Because somebody was losing their center of power as people were being baptized and lives were being changed. I can tell you that I know somewhat, at least in part, how Jesus felt when the prophet said he would be wounded in the house of his friend. There's nothing more painful than doing the best you can and have your heart in the right place and leave your heart wide open and somebody jump on it and stomp on it and attack and malign your motives. My friends, the church is not perfect. And when you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin everything. The church has goiters and boils and warts and scars and and problems because we are here. But my friends, we are the human race been redeemed by the blood of the lamb and we have a battle to fight and we have a mission to accomplish. And can we just pick each other up and can we just help one another and not stomp on on the trials and the tests and the burdens? I've often said, when we leave the house of God, we should feel better than when we came in. Everybody take a deep breath. Even that in itself is therapy. The first six months after we came to Kansas City, people started moving in. People came from all over the country. In fact, in the first 18 months, 14 families moved in to this church from out of town. I will never forget one family in particular. They seemed to help me identify my mission. And Ethan, would you please come to the keyboard? His name was Rich. Her name was Susan. They had three teenage boys. And I thought, what good fortune. These are good people. These are great people. In fact, for the time that they were with us, they were our greatest contributor. I was thanking God for our good fortune. And I'll never forget the Sunday morning service. Rich was standing right here, not in this building, but right here in the context of the old building. And I remember he was weeping. This is is an executive with the Colgate Company. You know, I don't know if it was the toothpaste branch or what he was, but... Anyway, he was weeping in the presence of God for an extended period of time. And afterwards, I didn't ask any questions. I rarely do. If someone wants to talk to me, they can talk to me. They can tell me whatever they want to. I will listen. He turned to me and said, Pastor, it happened just now. I said, what? He said, I came here ready to quit the church, ready to give up on the ministry. He said, but something happened in my spirit just now. 
that let me know that this is where my help is. This is where my hope is. He said, I believe again. I'm willing to trust again. He said, it happened in an instant. And can I tell you, I've seen God heal people instantly. Others I've seen heal them over days, some weeks, some months and years. In fact, even just this week, I sat in the office with a couple in my demographic age group. And they've been here for a few years. And they said, we didn't realize when we came here that we've been traumatized, that we've been wounded by the church. But being here at the Life Church, it has helped us to believe again. He said, in fact, two weeks ago when Dr. Hughes was here, he said, God did the final work of recovery and healing in my spirit. Amen. I believe that the healer is in the house today. He's in the house today. The Life Church is not a perfect church, but I can tell you on the authority of the Word of God in the history of this church, amen, that what the doctors can't do, the great physician can do, amen. And perhaps what your broken family and your dysfunctional family can't do, the family of God can do in this house today, amen. I know the healer and his name is Jesus. I know the first responder, the ultimate first responder of all time. Would you stand with me in the presence of the Lord? Jesus Christ is the ultimate first responder. He was born for that purpose. He ran into a world that was burning down. He burst into the house of humanity despite the threat of personal violence. He restrained the enemy of our souls and took the keys right out of his hand. He bore our grief. He carried our sorrows. The iniquity of all of us was laid upon him. Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That means external and internal, oil and wine. He was chastised for our peace. And because of his stripes, we are healed. He promised, as we saw depicted today, he will never leave us or forsake us. He said he would stay closer than a brother. He said through him we would find rest for our souls, for his yoke would be easy and his burden would be light. He said when the enemy would come in like a tsunami, that he would raise up and stand against it in the gap for us. He said that he would not allow any weapon to be formed with the intention of harming us. Just close your eyes with me for a moment. Somebody here today feels threatened. Somebody here today feels unsafe. This may be a small thing, but I understand a little bit about mental and emotional trauma. If you've never experienced claustrophobia, you wouldn't believe it's real. But I'm claustrophobic. There's places I cannot go. There's imaginations I cannot entertain. There are nightmares that overwhelm me at times. If I'm in a small place, if I can't breathe, if I don't have air, as often as I fly, I have to exercise mind over matter 
Everybody's coming into my airplane, breathing in my air. It's a challenge. It's a battle. And some of you face far more serious conditions than that. But I'm here to tell you that Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower where the righteous run in. Come on, somebody. Just start running in. David said, as the deer pants after the river, so my soul pants after thee, O God. The deer says, if I can just make it to the water, my enemy won't won't follow me into the water. (laughs) Just run in. (laughs) Come on. Just take a step of faith. Step out and run in. Run in and be safe. Oh, yes, right now. Come on, lift your heart to the Lord. Open up your heart. Say, Lord, I'm tired of fighting this battle alone. I'm tired, oh Lord, of dealing with this trauma. My family's broken. My marriage, Lord, is challenged. My children, Lord, are troubled. I've got to have some peace today. I've got to have, Lord, some tranquility that can only come through you. Years ago, Twyla Paris sang a song Listen to the words. Lately, I've been winning battles left and right. But even winners can get wounded in the fight. People say that I'm amazing, strong beyond my years. But they don't see the inside of me. I'm hiding all my tears. Unafraid because his armor is the best. But even soldiers need a quiet place to rest. People say that I'm amazing, never face retreat. But they don't see the enemies that lay me at his feet. And the chorus says, they don't know that I go running home when I fall down. They don't know who picks me up when no one is around. I drop my sword and cry for just a while. Because deep inside this armor, the warrior is a child. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Is there anyone here today who just would like for God to help you? Would you just raise your hand? Just become vulnerable right now. I see hands all over this house. If you believe that he will come now to you, would you raise your other hand? And just say, Jesus, I need you. Come on, just say it. Speak it. Jesus, I need you. I need you. I need you to protect me, Lord. When others didn't protect me, Lord, I need you to help me. Come on, just keep it real with God right now. That's right. Just tell him. Say, God, if you feel like he let you down, tell him. Say, Lord, where were you? Where were you? In my time of need, just tell him. You might be surprised at the answer, but if you'll ask him a question, he'll respond to you. That's it. Just lift your hands right now. Open your mouth and say, Lord, I just need you to help me right now. I just need you, Lord, to speak to me right now. I don't even need answers, Lord. I just need peace. I don't even need deliverance, Lord. I just need you to come alongside me. That's it. 
Come on, there's a work of the oil and wine of the Holy Spirit right now. Oh, yes, there is. Amen. Yes, he's here right now. Praise God. Just open up your heart. Open up your heart. Open up your mouth. Open up your spirit. I'm telling you, this is a hospital right now. Amen. This is a hospital right now. This house is an emergency room. This is an emergency room right now in the name of Jesus. Oh, yes, you're my healer, Lord. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. this place. You're doing what only you can do. You're my portion. I believe you're more than Oh, I know it when I feel it. I know it when I feel it. And I feel it moving in this house right now. Oh, yes. Lord, I'm asking you to touch families right now. I'm asking you to touch single parents right now.